Well, thank you, everybody. And um, we've, been, we've been preaching through uh, the book of Acts uh, this, this season, this term. So uh, we're in Acts chapter 8 this week. And um, last time we were in the book, we were looking at uh, Stephen, uh, who, uh, of course, was the first martyr in the church. He uh, was stoned to death. And so if we're starting at uh, the beginning of chapter 8, I just want to read a bit about Philip, Philip the Evangelist, as he's later referred to, and we'll see why uh, in these verses. So we'll start at uh, the, the beginning of chapter 8, and Stephen has, has just been stoned to death, and it says Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Samaria is to the north of Jerusalem, the northern part of Israel. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. And with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many, many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And then we'll jump down to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, that's towards Egypt. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official, in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. On his way home, he was sitting in his chariots, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the Holy Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked him. How can I, he said, unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. It's a big chariot. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. But in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or somebody else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road... They came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. He didn't waste any time. Look, why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirits of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. We'll hear a little bit more about Philip later on. He, he provides some hospitality later on uh, for, uh, for Paul. But uh, this is the main uh, bit we hear about him. And as I was reading this uh, and, and um, uh, thinking about what to, to, to share this morning, it just struck me as there's something... Uh, timely in this, that there's a persecution which breaks out here uh, against the church. And we're all too aware this week of a persecution that's broken out really on our doorstep uh, just in Ukraine. It's not the other side of the world, it's close to us. And 
So there's something timely for us here in, in this passage. Up to this point, the life of the church had been relatively peaceful, uh, and the emphasis had been on prayer and uh, practical provision and preaching the word. Many people have been saved already, so the church has, has blossomed suddenly from, from a standing start. The apostles have been put into prison for a night and they've been flogged, but apart from that, nothing really uh, terrible has happened. Many have been saved. And then suddenly this comfortable existence is, is shattered. And why did that happen? Because Stephen had drawn this sharp contrast as he was speaking to uh, the, the council, the high priest and his colleagues, uh, between uh, the righteous Son of God, Jesus, and the religious authorities who uh, had sought to eliminate what was an uncomfortable challenge to them rather than come to a place of repentance themselves. So they've been, they've been upset by what they've heard. They've, they've thought, this is blasphemy. This man's talking about Jesus as though he were the Son of God, which of course he is and ever will be. And then, uh, so this persecution breaks out against the church and uh, all that they've been used to, this, uh, the, these weeks, the early months of the church, suddenly shattered. And people are, are suddenly forced to leave town. So they go out through all Judea and Samaria. And uh, just as, as people were uh, getting cozy, boom, the church is scattered. But with them, of course, they take the seeds of the gospel. And uh, wonderfully, the gospel starts to be spread through a wider area. The, sh the, the sharing of the gospel is, is exponentially shifted to a much larger area. Uh, all around uh, what is modern Israel. Now, at the moment, in the Ukraine, we're seeing uh, this same kind of disturbance. This is the largest movement of refugees within Europe since the Second World War. It's, it's, it's really immense. A million and a half people, uh, we think, have already left the Ukraine. And uh, we read of terrible destruction. We see awful pictures. Uh, we, we read of the possibility of nuclear plants being damaged. Uh, and this is, this is a time for prayer, folks, just in passing. Thank you to those who were able to come yesterday morning. But let's be praying as a church uh, for the restraint of evil at the moment. But in all this, we can be confident that God has a plan for us. And he has some purposes uh, in, in what is happening. He won't, he won't be just watching, thinking, oh, I don't know what to do with all this. Just as he had a purpose in the early church being scattered so that the gospel would be shared more widely, uh, God has purposes in what's going on in the Ukraine at the moment. More people will be saved. People will turn to Jesus in this time who wouldn't have done otherwise. New relationships will be formed. People who are, have gone as refugees uh, will carry something with them and they'll form new friendships where they go. The grace of God will be demonstrated. We've already seen wonderfully people opening their homes to refugees and uh, sending provision, as, as Jamie's encouraged us to think about this morning, uh, to support those who are in need. So God's got some wonderful purposes which are being worked out in the midst of this rather desperate time. Now in this passage, we see Philip, who uh, has been organize, organizing the daily distribution of food. That's uh, uh, where we first see him. He's appointed as one of the deacons in the church in Acts chapter 6. And so we see him organizing the daily distribution of food. But of course, suddenly that's not needed because those who were receiving the food have been scattered. Uh, the church is scattered. So uh, he, he, uh, he goes off to Samaria. This is a bit like somebody from Ukraine going to Russia to share the gospel because 
the, the Samaritans and the Jews were not friends, and the Jews were not supposed to mix with the Samaritans. And going from Israel to Samaria was, uh, uh, was a bit odd. But he goes there anyway, and uh, he, he's, um, he's, he's, he's got the gospel with him. And he knows that Jesus has said that the gospel must be taken from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. So he thinks, where shall I start? Well, I'll start with Samaria. People in Judea have begun to hear the gospel. I'll, I'll go a little bit further and share it in Samaria. So off he goes, and uh, we know that he left things behind him because later on in Acts chapter 21, we discover that he's got a house in Jerusalem and he's got four unmarried daughters, so presumably they're quite young, but, but he feels he's got to go. We don't know whether he took uh, his, uh, any of his family with him. We just read about him going. It sounds, sounds like it's just him, doesn't it? Because it's just him getting up into the chariot later on and uh, we don't hear about the rest of his family with him. So maybe he's just left them behind and has felt, do you know what, I've got to go. I've got to take the gospel with me. And he gets to Samaria, and we see that he's able to do wonderful miracles there. And uh, great, great number are healed. Uh, evil spirits are driven out. Uh, people who've been paralyzed are able to walk and to move again. Wonderfully, things begin to happen. And it says there was great joy in the city. So something beautiful is happening there. He's gone in response to God's prompting, and something wonderful is happening. And I just wondered, well, what did he take with him? And what would we take with us today if we were forced out of our homes and had to go on, on the run, as it were, uh, and, and suddenly leave? And as always, there are three things that, uh, that we might take with us. And these things we have already, and so we don't have to pack a bag and put them in, which is great. We see people struggling with, you know, there, there are those old uh, pictures of refugees with carts and uh, cars crammed with stuff. You know, when you go camping, you take everything, including the kitchen sink, don't you? And uh, uh, you, you, the back of the car is down like this. Uh, even when we go to the house in the morning, we think, well, what have I got to take with me today? You know, my keys, my glasses, uh, uh, what else do I need? Uh, oh, the, the office pass, so I get into the office, my computer, oh, my mask. You know, there's all sorts of things. But these things, these three things that we take with us, we have, and we just need to remember them. Now, the first of them uh, is, is, sounds a bit somber. It's the death of Jesus that we take with us. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, that's our bodies really, to show that this all-surpassing power that we have is from God and it's not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. We're perplexed but not in despair. We're persecuted, like Philip and his colleagues, but we're not abandoned, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Because we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So we're all getting a bit older. We know that unless Jesus uh, returns, uh, one day we'll, we'll uh, come to the end of the road here and go to glory. And so we, we know that uh, that is the one thing pretty much that we can be certain about, apart from the tax man, who's uh, also <laughs> a certainty. So we can't get away from this, this sense that one day we'll die. 
And we can see from the scripture that Jesus died, but also wonderfully that he rose again. There's this, there's this tremendous hope that goes beyond death, goes beyond the grave. And we carry this with us. This is, this is a part of us now. We've been made new creations. If you read on in 2 Corinthians into uh, the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5, it's that bit where it says the old has gone, the new has come. We're new creations now. And uh, wonderfully, we carry this with us. We don't have to pack it in a bag and put it consciously on our back each morning. We, it's, a, it's an integral part of who we are now because we've put our trust in Jesus. So... These folks, Philip and his colleagues, they had a responsibility in their generation to share the gospel. If they hadn't done that, if Philip had not gone down the road to the desert, if he hadn't gone to Samaria, fewer people would have heard. The growth of the church would have been slowed. But he recognized his responsibility in his generation. He held the baton, as it were. He had to run with it and pass it to others. And we share uh, that responsibility. It's our turn now in this generation to carry that battle, that truth of Jesus' death and his resurrection. Our time here is finite, so we don't have forever uh, to pass this, this battle on, pass this news on. But while we're here, uh, the idea that we're one day going to die and that our time here is finite is a provocation to us to be sharing the gospel. We have a hope that goes beyond the grave so we can live in that wonderful way. If it's some mysterious way, you see, if we've put our trust in God, we've come to share in the death of Jesus and also in his resurrection. That's our, that's our heritage. Paul was talking about the, the wonderful heritage that God has, and that's us. And our heritage in return is that we share in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Romans 6 says, Don't you know all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There's a little provocation here, isn't there, for those who haven't been baptized yet. Jamie was saying we, we can do some baptisms next week. If you've not been baptized yet and have put your trust in Jesus, this is what it's about. We're baptized into the death of Jesus. We're buried with him through baptism under the water into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's our heritage that we share in the resurrection of Jesus. For him it's already happened. Somehow in some mysterious way we participate in that and we appropriate it in our own lives. We're inherently frail, aren't we? We can't do any miracles ourselves. We can't stop ourselves aging. Well, there are loads of advertisements <laughs> saying, buy this wonder cream and uh, your wrinkles will disappear miraculously. But you know, we know that, that doesn't work or you can get this, go to get, get this treatment and uh, uh, you know, you, you'll, you'll be made to look 10 years younger except you've got to keep going back and paying for another one. But uh, we, we can't do any miracles about this. But with Job, uh, we can say, Job, the, the, the Old Testament man who, who suffers so much, you know, he loses everything in a sense, but he still refuses uh, to blame God for what's happening. And he says, after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I know I'll see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another how my heart yearns within me. He's, he's got that truth in his heart that he's carrying, as it were, the death of Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus yet. He just knows God. But we're wonderfully blessed. We can look back and see Jesus and know that his death has counted for us. And so we can say this with Job. I know that you know, I'll be raised to life again and we'll share in this wonderful resurrection. And when we break bread together, 
one of the things we're doing to remind ourselves of this. We're proclaiming the death of Jesus until he comes again, it says in 1 Corinthians 11. So the death of Jesus, we take that with us wherever we go. That's an integral part. We don't have to put it in our pocket or in a backpack or a suitcase. We carry it with us. Then secondly, we carry the cross. And Jesus reminds us, doesn't he? Uh, He says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross and follow me. It doesn't sound so much fun, does it really? Because Jesus dies on the cross. And what he's talking about is denying ourselves and putting his priorities first. Now, Philip does this. He gives up his home life in Jerusalem. He goes off to Samaria. He's not amongst friends as he goes there, but uh, you know, all he can expect really as, as somebody from Judea going to Samaria is the cold shoulder, uh, or, or maybe worse. But he goes anyway in obedience to God's direction. And there's a risk he'll be rejected. But he sees amazing fruit as he shares the gospel. He tells them about Jesus, and he sees wonderful things happening. And the whole city's filled with joy. But then he doesn't stay there. It must have been a big temptation. Whoa, this is great. This you know, wonderful ministry here. Things are going amazingly. And uh, you know, everybody's coming and saying, what a wonderful uh, you know, thing you're doing here, Philip. Uh, you know, why don't you stay a bit longer? But an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, I've got, I've got something else for you now. I want you to leave this ministry and I want you to go to a lonely place down on the desert road. Go south to the desert road. And he's obedient to God here again. And then there follows this amazing story of the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariots who's reading the scripture aloud on the way home. And the Ethiopian's been up to worship in Jerusalem. So he's, he's a seeker after God. He's looking for God. And he's been to worship. He's on his way home. And God has wonderfully provided the answer to his searching because here's Philip suddenly on the road, just happens to be there. This is the providence of God, folks. It's not a coincidence. God's provided this. He's arranged it. He's brought it about that this man in the chariot should meet the man on the road and that one should be able to explain to the other the gospel. People have done this for us, haven't we? That uh, We've met with people who've explained the gospel to us and said, this is what it's all about. It's about Jesus dying for our sin and being raised to life again, giving us this wonderful hope. And it's our turn now to share this gospel with others. And God arranges wonderful providential appointments for us so that we can share the gospel. He did that for us so that we might hear it in the first place. The right people were praying for us. The right people were there to share the gospel with us. For me, it was uh, a bit of name dropping here now. Uh, the man who shared the gospel with me is now an MP, and uh, he's, a, he's a knight. <laughs> uh, but he was a solicitor in the firm where I, where I was a trainee. And uh, I'd been going to church, and uh, uh, in, in the office, they'd put you for six months with different people. And the first uh, chap I was with for six months, he was called uh, William Jones. Great name. That's Jones is my surname, if you don't know. And... Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, he was a lovely guy, but he had a terrible foul mouth, uh, but he was, he was a good solicitor. And uh, so I was with him for six months. And then I went into the office of this chap, Gary Streeter, who's, who's now the MP for West Devon somewhere. And uh, uh, he shared the gospel with me and said, um, you know, uh, you go to church? I said, yes, I've been going to church. And uh, so he said, um, why don't you come along to my church? He invited me along. It's a bit, bit 
like our church now, so a house, house church, community church, uh, met in the Guildhall in Plymouth. Uh, this was back in the early 1980s, before most of you were born. <laughs> Prehistory, folks. <laughs> so uh, uh, this, this, um, this invitation uh, was followed up by me sitting in his room for six months, and uh, so he shared the gospel with me. He said, Jesus had died for me, for my sin, and uh, raised to life again. God had arranged that. Others had been praying for me during my life. I'd been born into a family where my grandfather and grandmother were, were devout Christians. My father had walked away from the gospel a bit, but it was there, part of the wallpaper in my life. I hadn't really understood it, though. And uh, so God arranged for somebody to meet with me, my, my Philip uh, meeting with me to share the gospel. And as a result of this, the gospel spreads south to Ethiopia. And uh, the earliest ar archaeological evidence for uh, Christian church buildings in Ethiopia is around the third, late third, early fourth century AD. So it's a little while later. Uh, there's a significant presence there, but it begins here with this guy hearing the gospel on the way down to uh, his home. Now, Philip had taken up his cross in a sense because he he'd been obedient to God and he, uh, he understood what it was to say, uh, I want to put God's priority first. I'm going to leave the comfort of my home. I'm going to take a risk and go up to Samaria and share the gospel. And then I'm going to leave this successful ministry where there's great joy and everything's going really swimmingly and go to a lonely place because that's what God's told me to do. And taking up our cross daily simply means putting God's priority first in our lives. It's the place where we must be prepared to leave everything for the sake of doing God's will. It's the place where our will intersects with God's purposes. We come to a sort of crossroads sometimes and we have to say, am I going to go this way that God wants or am I going to take this path of comfort uh, or repose? And we have to choose between our priorities and God's. It's where Jesus challenges us to be prepared to leave everything and to follow him just as he did for his early disciples. So we, we, can, we can expect this. So we take up our cross. There's a bit of a choice in this, isn't there? Uh, and it's, it's a daily thing. Uh, sometimes more frequently than that. During the day, we'll have different choices. Shall I share the gospel with this person? It seems like an opportunity, but I'm not really bold enough. Shall I do it anyway? Let me encourage you, take, take God's path at that point. Say yes, take up your cross. Let's be alert to what God's saying to us and be obedient to him in these days. So the death of Christ, the cross of Christ, and then uh, thirdly, the thing that we take with us is the Holy Spirit. And we've been uh, we've been singing this morning about this. Philip is described in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, as being full of wisdom and of the Holy Spirit. So uh, we can't do so much on our own. <laughs> he might have gone to Samaria and really tried hard, but he couldn't have done any miracles. No, God's with him to do these miracles uh, and to bring about uh, wonderful healing in the lives of many. And uh, <laughs> all we do when we're sharing the gospel, we plant the seed, we can water it a bit, encourage a bit, but it's God who makes it grow, isn't it? And it's God who saves. It's God who's building his church. It's the power of the Holy Spirit uh, that Paul acknowledges as having changed things. When he goes to uh, the Corinthians, he goes there with the power of the Spirit. So when he writes to them shortly afterwards, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, when I came, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus and him crucified. I came in weakness and fear and trembling. <laughs> my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, 
but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. So when, it, when we go and share the gospel, we might tremble a bit. We, we might be with Paul here and say, <laughs> I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, we might be with Philip as he goes up to Samaria or down to the desert. I don't know what God's got in store for me, but I'm going to go anyway. Mm, I don't know what's going to happen. But God's Holy Spirit was with him and wonderful things happened as a result. And like Paul, like Philip, we need that power of the Holy Spirit uh, to help us to build his church, to see his kingdom come. Yesterday, we were praying for this. About, about a dozen of us gathered here this morning in this hall just to pray for uh, what's going on in the Ukraine, to pray for uh, God's purposes. We were praying for God's Holy Spirit to come too amongst us. And we've been preaching through Acts. We've, this has become one of the themes. Other themes are beginning to emerge. Obedience is one of them, this whole business of being prepared to say yes to God. Uh, Jamie touched on it when he preached a few weeks ago. Uh, I've touched on it a couple of times now. Just being obedient to God, a willingness to say yes to God, so important. But here's a, a, another theme that's emerging. The Holy Spirit powerfully with us, powerfully present. God's on the move, folks, in these days. Uh, a few weeks ago, last time I preached, I told you there were 30 students meeting with Andy Woodman, who's the university chaplain, on Sunday evenings. And... Um, a bit more name dropping here. I was chatting to the Bishop of Norwich earlier this week and, uh, and uh, he said that he'd been out there to see Andy and there are now 40 to 45 students meeting on Sunday evenings and they're at risk of outgrowing the room that they're meeting in. God's doing something there on the university campus, folks, and this is, this, you know, this is such a, a blessing. It's been a, a bit of a dry season, hasn't it? A difficult season through uh, this time of COVID and, and uh, lockdown and stuff but there are some great things happening. There's a little alpha course running at Porringland, which uh, uh, folks from our city centre site are leading. And they started with nine people, and one of them, usually when you have an alpha course, a few people drop out along the way. But this time, one of the people who came the first week brought another friend the second week, so there are 10 folks now, and one of those has already said yes to Jesus and uh, asked, asked Jesus to forgive their sins and uh, to, to be in their lives. And this, this is wonderful. Paul and Judah are leading a little alpha course in their life group, I think, with three folks doing it there. Folks, this is a season when people are listening, when people are responding to the gospel because of all the uncertainties that are going on around us, COVID, Ukraine, other things, inflation, fuel prices rocketing up. People are anxious with the answer to that, that Jesus brings a peace in our hearts that we don't find elsewhere in the world. We need the Holy Spirit, though, to give us the right words sometimes to pray. Joe, if you'd like to come up again. These, these, are, these are difficult times, aren't they? Just as uh, the church was being persecuted in these, these early days here. But we see God's purposes being worked out. And I'm, I'm confident that's happening through all that's going on in the Ukraine uh, and elsewhere. New friendships will be established. New churches may be founded. Well, let's wait and see what God does. There'll be some beautiful testimonies that come out of this difficult time. He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. And in these challenging times, good to bear that in mind, that whatever tough things we're going through and others are going through, God's got purposes in those. But let's be ready in this season to play our part in this generation 
This is our moment to be sharing the gospel. This is our time when God said, the battle is with you now, and it's with me, and we need to play our part in sharing the gospel and uh, seeing people uh, coming to, say, to salvation. Who knows what he might call us to? Who knows what he might say to us? Let's be alert to what God's saying so that we can be obedient to him. Let's, uh, let's sing together.